Lord, thank you for this morning. We pray that you'll bless our time as we look into your word. And Lord, we all want to live our lives with victory and with power and uh, to glorify you and, and to succeed at what you give us to do. And so we pray that you'll use this information, your word this morning, you'll speak through it, it'll make sense. And each one of us will make application of it to our life so that we can live successfully uh, as your servants live successfully in, in victory over the kingdom of darkness. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So number one in your notes, when we heard, understood, and believed the gospel, God delivered us from the power of the devil and his kingdom of darkness. And he put a fence around us, so the devil and his demons are kept far away from us. Built a fence around us. One of the jobs I had as I grew up on the farm was to build fences. I built miles and miles and miles of fence. And so God builds a fence around me and around you when we became a believer in Jesus Christ. And so... Some of you have seen this video before. It's made about oh, 20 years ago, I think, on a trip to Hawaii. We have a daughter and a son-in-law and three grandchildren that live there. And so we go see them every two or three years. And then the question is, what are we going to do? We're in Hawaii. We need to do something cool. So one year when we were there, I went out and swam with the sharks. Didn't really swim. I went in a cage in the water with sharks swimming all around me. And I had a little GoPro fastened to me that my son-in-law gave me and took pictures. And then he took it and reduced it down to this little couple-minute video that you'll see right now. That's me, in case you don't recognize me. I was a little nervous about my foot sticking out there. I kept kind of inching it back. Didn't want to get my toes eat off. So when we, uh, the boat went out there, I've told you this story before, but I'll tell you again. There was a, where this was out there, it was, uh, they would chum the water periodically. And so the motor of the boat actually brought the sharks in. They'd hear it and thought they were going to get fed. So then they would all come. And as we're going out to uh, the group that was going in the cage to, and also to take the ones in the cage back, where we were going, they were, the group that was in it were uh, tourists from Japan, and they were all college-age kids. And for some reason, they all went to one side of the cage. And the, when we were going out there, the top of the cage was under the water. And so the guy running the boat could see that the top of the cage was under the water on the side that they were all on. And he begins yelling, which did no good because they're all under the water. And uh, screaming because he was pretty sure that a shark was going to swim in there and eat them all, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, he's going hysterical, the operator of the boat. And finally, somebody pops her head up and he gets her attention and they spread around and it pops up. And no one ended up dying. I thought that would have been a cool story to tell, but uh, didn't have it to tell. So I was in the cage. I felt quite confident in the cage that I wasn't going to get eaten by sharks because they were there and I was in and the bar looked pretty good though I did keep my feet back as best I could uh, so that they wouldn't chew on my toes number of uh, first John five eighteen. he who was born of God keeps him the evil one does not touch him now that is a nice verse I like that one the evil one does not touch him I went hunting I go hunting up in Alaska about every other year with my son-in-law and we go way up in the north part of Alaska. And one year we went uh, up the Yukon River in his jet sled. We went about five hours up the river. And then we went up a tributary up the Yukon. We were moose hunting. And we had a nice camp. And he did something that I really, really appreciated. He built a fence around our camp. Three strands 
of wire with the electric fence, a battery hooked to it with an electric fence around our camp. It was called a bear fence, kept the bears out. And uh, I knew a friend who used to raise honeybees and he would put his honeybees up in the woods for the fireweed because it made really great honey. And he would put a fence around his honeybees, a bear fence to keep the bears from getting into the honey. And it really works. Bears don't like to get shocked any more than I do or you do. And so the bear fence around our camp, oh, I slept so sound. I didn't have to worry about a bear climbing in my sleeping bag with me and uh, a bear fence. So we have a fence around us. I do, you do. Job 1, 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on, on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? The only reason he's a good dude is because I can't get to him. You put a hedge all around him. Psalms 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. They fight for us, around us, and keeping demons. Um, It'd be interesting if we could see into the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, to see the demons and the angels and to see what's going on around us all the time would probably make us really nervous. Um, I was in Mauritania, West North uh, West Africa, and it's a super, super closed country. It's legal there by the laws of country. I don't know if it still is. It was when I was there uh, 15 years ago uh, to kill Christians. And uh, so I, the, I preached at a church. It was an underground church in the sense that people took... It took about three, four hours for everyone to get there. They came one at a time, about 15 minutes apart. And so I preached into that service. And after I was done, uh, the missionary that was there came up and said, introduce me to this old, old, old man. And uh, he said, you may be interested in hearing me telling you what he told me. He didn't speak English. He spoke French. And he told the missionary this, that while I was speaking, he could see angels around me and that uh, one of them touched me and when he did there was sort of this light now I don't know if the guy was um, you know where he was mentally or anything he was esteemed by everybody there as far as the people that were in that little house the Africans they all honored him quite uh, highly but uh, anyway I'm not sure why he was able to see if that was accurate uh, but it made me feel good Anyway, I thought, oh, cool, I think I'll take him home with me. And, uh, and then I was speaking at a, a, a place where there was a severely autistic uh, young man. He couldn't speak uh, very I mean, he couldn't speak at all so you could understand him, but he could hear. And after the service was over, he wrote a little note to me, and I could read it. And it said, Pastor D, while you were speaking, I saw some angels standing around you, guarding you. And again, I thought, wow, that's cool. And I don't know whether it was accurate or true at all. I didn't, couldn't have a conversation with him, but it made me feel good. And so I'm thinking, I wonder how you're doing. You got angels around you. Anyway, it says that they encamp around us, they protect us, they guard us from the evil one. So there's an unseen realm around us. Uh, that we're unaware of because we can't see it. And so because we can't see it or hear it, we're, we don't think about it very often happening in our life. Number two, the fence around our life has some gates in it that only we can open. Do you know one of the questions my dad would ask often when I was growing up on the farm? Did you close the gate? Did you close the gate to the heifers? Did you close the gate to the pigs? Did you close the gate to the cows? Because if you didn't, we're going to get a call a little bit later that they're running up and down the road. So he regularly, because we would go through the gate and then we would close it and we would come out and we would close it. But sometimes you don't get it clear closed or you're in a hurry. And we had a chain that would go around with a little clip on it. And if you didn't get it locked well, the gate would open. And I remember one time in church, uh, someone came in and whispered to my dad in his ears, and he got up, and uh, 
he looked my way and I looked at him and he went like this. And so I got up and went out. He said, the pigs are running and up, up and down the road. I said, oh, great. Somebody forgot to close the pig gate. Don't want to forget to close the gate in the fence that God has built around us. Who would open a gate that God has built in your life to keep demons out of your life? Only a stupid person would. But we do pretty regularly. Number three, only a stupid person would open any of those gates that we all have. And we do it, all of us do it all the time. I mean, I wouldn't open a gate. There wasn't one, but if there were in that pen cage that I was in, I wouldn't reach down there and say, oh, I think I'll just open this gate up just to get some cool pictures. No, I wouldn't do that. If I did, if you were observing me, you would say, you're not very smart. Number four, Satan has strategies that he uses to get us to open those gates. So we are the only ones who can open them. I can open mine. You can open yours. I can't open yours. You can't open mine. The devil can't open mine. But I can open it. And so he is going to try to get me to do that. To do just that. To open up a gate. He's going to trick me. Attempt to trick me and you to get us to open those gates up. So that he can have access to our life. Second Corinthians 2.11 So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Most people are ignorant of his schemes that he uses on you and and myself to get us to open that gate up. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm, stand firm against the schemes, the schemes, the trickery, the craftiness of the evil one. Second Corinthians 11, 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, his craftiness. Your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You ever buy something that a really good salesman talked you into buying and afterwards you, oh, why did I do that? Uh, so the devil is crafty and he schemes and he tries to get us to open up the door so that he can have access to our life. Number five, we open the gates in our demon fence by repeatedly committing certain sins. Repeatedly committing certain sins. There are sins that in the Bible say that when we commit those sins, we open up the door. We give the devil and his demons access, free access to our life. Number six, a sin that almost every person commits regularly is getting angry at another person. So in our culture, that's sort of esteemed, glorified, telling people off, getting angry. It's a regular part of what you might watch about what happens in politics, on sports, uh, in the news as far as driving goes, road rage, all the rest of the way people talk and act in regards to how someone treats them. We call it uh, protecting ourselves, defending ourselves, standing up for our own rights. We call it a variety of things, all of which are stupid. Because it's part of Satan's scheme, his craftiness to get us to open up doors to allow him access to our life. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry. Now that means feel anger, the emotion of anger, you can't stop. I feel emotionally angry about every five minutes. The reason is because I'm always in a hurry, I've always got things to do, and there's always somebody that's messing up my schedule. And so I have this emotion, this feeling of anger All day long, continually. I mean, it's not what you call raging anger. It's just sort of irritation, frustration. All the time. Feel anger, be angry, but don't sin. You know another way of saying that? Be angry, but don't open your mouth. Because most of the time, the sin that you commit as a result of the emotion of anger is the words that you speak. And no matter how justified you may think you are, anger is never, ever justified before God as legitimate, as okay in response to what someone else does. Now, you can't stop the emotion. But exercising discipline over what we say and how we act, we can do. Number seven, our culture honors people who get angry and tell others off. The ruder and crueler they are, the cooler they are. (laughs) I wrote that myself. I thought that was, you know... You could almost make a song out of that, couldn't you? The ruder and crueler they are, the cooler they are. Politics, sports, you name it. Draymond Green got kicked out of a basketball last night 
uh, two technicals. Um, and so I was reading about it this morning on the sports, and someone says, Draymond Green is so cool. He's, he knows when to get angry. He's shrewd. He's gaining an advantage. And so I thought, ah, anger is being honored uh, and, uh, and praised as a good thing. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That is, if you do blow it, do get angry, do say something, do sin with your mouth, fix it. God gives you a little bit of grace time. If you're going to get angry at your wife, do it in the morning. Because you got all day long to make it right. Don't do it right before you go to bed. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Opportunity, that word means legal jurisdiction. Legal jurisdiction it means a foothold, access point. Be angry all day long, but don't sin. If you do, make it right. If you don't, the devil gets access to your life. You will give him opportunity, legal jurisdiction to you. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, all, all, in your notes, if, I don't know, that's not written out, just the reference, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I have people all the time, using the word all, who will say, well, Jesus got angry. <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed it or not. You and Jesus have a lot of differences. And so the word of God says, let all anger be put away from you. If you get angry, fix it, because otherwise you give the devil opportunity. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, do not be eager in your heart to be angry. Anger resides in the bosom of fools. I like that verse. Anger resides in the bosom of fools. Psalms 37, 8, cease from anger. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to anger has great understanding. He who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules the spirit than he who captures the city. Colossians 3, 8, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Put them aside. Don't do it. Don't do it. Genesis 4, 5, we know the sin that Eve was deceived and Adam, and then shortly after that, Cain, for his, his offering, he had no regard. That is God. God evidently gave some instructions on making an offering, and it was an animal offering, and uh, Cain offered strawberries. And you're thinking, I don't remember reading that. Well, listen there, you have to see it. Cain offered strawberries for his offering, and it says God had no regard for it, so Cain became angry. I don't know if Cain got angry at Abel or if he got angry at God or who he got angry at, but he got angry. His countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you. You must master it. You must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him and killed him. 1 John 3.12, out as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. Was of the evil one and slew his brother. Was of, I would think means that he was controlled by, influenced by the evil one, and therefore he killed his brother. Uh, anger was what allowed the devil access to Cain's life, uh, whereby he sinned. Uh, Significantly killing his brother. Another eight, another common sin that allows a big gate to be opened in the fence of our protection from demons is bitterness. The failure to forgive others in the same way we have been forgiven by God. So over the last 45 years of pastoring and counseling, I have come to the conclusion that this is the number one biggest problem in the average Christian's life is bitterness because the consequences that come into our life are 
I mean, it takes pages and pages and pages to write down all the consequences that I and you experience if we fail to forgive everybody of anything. Anybody of everything. Um, It's a big deal to God. And the consequences are significant. Matthew 18, 23. I had somebody said to me, you know, I can forgive people, but I can't forget. You know why? Well, when somebody sins against you, somebody offends you, somebody hurts your feelings, do you know what the demons do? They put it in their little database. And you know what they say to you when that person shows up on your radar, as it were, walks in the same room you're in, you see them in church, they're walking around you and they will say, oh, you remember when so-and-so did such-and-such? They help you out. They help you out. Wouldn't it be nice if they could help you out on Bible memory verses? <laughs> they won't do that one. But they'll help you remember all the offenses and all the hurts and all the... T- at times you were cheated by someone else. They'll bring, and in fact, you know what they'll do? They'll exaggerate. No. Would a demon do such a thing? Exaggerate? Tell a lie? Make it bigger than it really is? Say it again and again, and every time he says it, just a little bit bigger, just a little bit worse? That's what they do. That's exactly what they do. Matthew 18, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven, this is a parable that Jesus tells. The kingdom of heaven may be compared. Now he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. It's a big deal to God. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now that number was like incomprehensible. It's like our national debt. It's a really big number. He was brought to him, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife, his children, and all that he had, repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. I got a little book. It's not very big. It's probably about 25 pages in the book, and the title of the book is The Humor of Jesus. And he starts out by saying, most of the time we miss his humor because we don't understand what's being said. And one of the first examples he used was this parable. Anybody listening to this parable would have laughed when he told the amount that the servant owed. Nobody owes that much money. And then they would have really laughed when the servant said, I will repay it. He's like, yeah, right. Uh, Have patience with me. I will repay everything. The Lord of that slave felt compassion, released him, forgave him the debt. But that slave went out bound and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That's like the price of a cup of coffee. Wasn't much. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, I will repay you. He was unwilling, went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when... His fellow slaves saw what had happened. They were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? His Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. Torturers until, what do torturers do? If you were a torturer and you were given a job description, what would be on the job description? To make people squeal like a little girl. Make them cry. Make their life miserable. Torturers. I'll hand you over to the torturers until you repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also, my heavenly father, that's God will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. God is going to hand me over to the torturers, you over to the torturers, until we pay our own sin debt. Ephesians 3.31, let all bitterness, all bitterness, all bitterness, and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, all bitterness. Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, by it many be defiled. Root of bitterness. 
You know what that means? Just a little bit. Just a little, not that big a deal. Not even a little root of bitterness be in your life. Not only you, but a whole lot of other people as well. Bitterness is like a, I mean, it's more contagious than COVID. (laughs) It spreads. Because we always have to tell someone about what someone did, what they said. And so it spreads. Number nine, as Christians, we all sin almost every day. I put that almost in there for, I'm not sure who. (laughs) It doesn't apply to me. I tell people, you don't have to ask God forgiveness on the days you don't sin. I'm working towards that. Before I die, I'd like to have one day on which I don't sin. I haven't made it yet. Number 10, God has provided us with a wonderful gift, the forgiveness of our sins. God forgives, God forgets, God cleanses. He not only forgives, he forgets, and he cleanses. It's like we didn't even commit it from God's perspective. Hebrews ten seventeen: their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I will remember no more. He won't remember them. It's like we never did it. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. First John 2, 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. I heard a missionary say one time, do you know why God didn't say as far as the north is from the south? Because there is a north and there is a south and there is a definite distance. But east and west, you just keep going in a circle. There's no distance. It's infinite. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my sins from me as far as he's concerned on a legal basis. Number 11, when we put our trust in Jesus and believe the gospel to be true, our sins were all forgiven. We were given the gift of eternal life in heaven forever and ever and ever with God. That's amazing. All my sins were forgiven. Yours were forgiven. He forgets them. He cleanses me as if I never did it. Colossians 1.13, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. That is, we were the property of Satan. He delivers us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. If I move on off a verse, a passage, a number with underlined words before you're finished, would you just scream ah! like that? Or maybe raise your hand. I heard somebody sort of moan on that last one. So I forget that you're filling in blanks. And uh, I did make it, try to make it no more than three and some of them only two. Um, so that I could go faster, get more said. So, but anyway, I don't want you not to get them filled in. Um, number 12. No, Colossians 2.13. When you were dead, dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made, us, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, forgiven us all, all our transgressions. Twelve, we are able to be forgiven by a holy and just God because Jesus died on a cross after becoming our sin and paying the price of our sin. And so sometimes we forget that God forgiving my sin was not... a easy thing for him to do we kind of think god's god he's big he's infinite he can do anything and just saying poop no big deal it was easy but what it took for my sins to be forgiven was jesus to leave heaven live life like we live it in every way to be tempted in every way we are and then he was nailed to a cross and he was tortured and all the sins of every person were plucked off of them like apples put on jesus and he felt the guilt of that sin. He felt the shame of that sin. And God poured out his anger against Jesus, turned his back on his own son. The trinity that had always been one was broken for the first time ever because he couldn't look on the sin that Jesus had become. Poured out his wrath on him and he died in punishment for my sins and your sin. It was not an easy thing for God to take care of my sin and yours. It was very, very costly both on the part of the Father and the Son, 
for my sins to be taken care of. First Corinthians 15, three, I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin, to become our sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It was a big deal. Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. First Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body bore our sins in his body on the cross. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, that he might bring us to God, that we could live with him forever. He became our sin. He died for our sin. He was punished for our sins. 13, as a Christian, we continue to experience forgiveness of our sins as we confess them to God. So the, the uh, deal now is I was forgiven initially when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, when I was born again, adopted into the family of God, transferred from the kingdom of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. At that point, I am clean, holy, pure, and righteous. But it only took me about five minutes, maybe not that long, to commit my first sin after being born again in the family of God. And I sin pretty regularly since then. I don't lose my salvation because of that sin, but my fellowship is broken with the Father, with Jesus. It's sort of like when my wife and I have a fight. We're still married, but she's just not talking to me. (laughs) And if it gets bad, then she's not cooking for me either. And uh, some other things she's not doing either. I mean, it's like, whoa, we've got to fix this one. And so when we sin, there's a problem between us and God and our blessings and our power and a whole lot of other things. So I want to take care of that as quickly as I can. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess, we own it, and God forgives, cleanses, and we're, everything's cool. It's amazing that that's all it takes. No penance. We just own it for confess it and he forgives it and cleanses number 14 a major monkey wrench that gets thrown into the forgiveness blessings is our failure to forgive others now it's a major circle that one three times it is the major the big the biggest problem that average the average christian faces because we don't recognize it as serious as it is from god's perspective We don't recognize the consequences that we pay in our walk every day when we fail to forgive anybody of everything. Everybody of anything. Uh, And there are significant consequences that come into our life. Um, In fact, I've identified 50. I'm not going to give them all to you this morning. I don't have enough time. But I'll give you a couple. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now that is a huge consequence. You don't forgive others, God doesn't forgive you. How many? How many sins can you hold and not forgive before God doesn't forgive you? One little itty-bitty one. One little itty-bitty one. That's all it takes, and you have forfeited your right to be forgiven of any sin simply by confessing it to God. He no longer forgives you. They're on you. Now, you're still going to heaven, but between now and heaven, you're going to pay a pretty severe price of consequences that you have as you live your life. Uh, because you're not forgiven, you're not cleansed by God of your sins. Mark eleven twenty five. whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven will forgive you your transgressions. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. That is about as clear as it gets. If you don't forgive, 
you're not forgiven. Matthew 6, 12, forgive us of our sins. This is the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven others. 15, there are many serious consequences that come into the life of a Christian who does not forgive others. At least 55, I found consequences that come into your life if you fail to forgive other people of the offenses against you. 16, a very hard consequence is that God will cease guiding us, teaching us his will for our life. I was in 4-H growing up all the way through junior high, high school, and I raised a, a... I was in dairy. I had a couple of different heifers, raised them up. They were cows. My brother... On the other hand, he raised pigs. So one of the things we did when we went to the fair is not only uh, get them judged in ribbons, but we'd also be in showmanship. That is, we would be out there and we would show them off. And you got ranked and got ribbons for showmanship. Now with a heifer, it's pretty easy. You have a lead strap and you lead them around the ring and you stop and they put their feet square under them and they stand right and you stand right and you get judged and they put you in place. With a pig, you don't have a halter. You got a cane and you smack them on the head. Gotta go that way, pig. Go that way, pig. You hit them on the butt. You put them, kink up the nose. Now, when you're training them at home, you hit them really hard. But when you get into the ring with the judge, you have to just, you want to get it so when the pig sees the stick, he turns. When he sees the stick, he turns. When you put a stick in front, he stops. When you tap him on the butt, he goes. You steer that pig around, make him stop as with that cane. How does God guide you? He smacks you in the side of the head with a stick. <laughs> He controls events, circumstances. There's all kinds of different ways. God leads us and takes us through life into his perfect plan and will for our life. Uh, <clears throat> Isaiah 30, chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse 20. He, your teacher, will no longer hide himself. Your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. You know what that means? That means you're going to have a, a prompting from God. No, no. Not that way, this way. He'll be prompting us and we'll hear him in our thoughts. Psalms 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Ezekiel thirty nine twenty four. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them and I hid my face from them. You know what that means? No more guidance. Figure it out on your own. 17, another consequence is that our heart will become hard, our conscience will become calloused. It will become easier and easier for us to sin. Our conscience will become calloused, our heart will become hard as a result of sin not being forgiven and cleansed out of our life. First, all done writing. Your heart will become hard. Your conscience will become calloused. 1 Timothy 4.2 By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience. Seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Titus 1.15 To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but their mind and their conscience are defiled. Their conscience is defiled. 18, if we don't forgive others after God has forgiven us of everything, he won't answer our prayers. I was in a forum discussion. There were six of us sitting on the stage. And uh, there, were, there were six pastors in the audience. I went down to uh, Arizona somewhere, I think Phoenix, to do this speaking at this big seminar. I had two things I spoke at and there were others and then at the end there was this forum and they would ask questions and so one of the questions was does God hear the prayers of an unbelieving person and I happened to be the one that got the question and I said the only prayer he hears from an unbelieving person is a prayer of confession repentance and belief and so there was, you could hear the rumblings in the audience. They didn't know if they liked that answer or not. And then I followed up this by saying, but there are many believers who God doesn't hear their prayers either. 
which prompted some more rumbling in the audience. And somebody says, whoa, whoa, what? Who? I said, if you don't forgive anybody and everybody of anything and everything, you can pray to your blue in the face. And God won't answer it. And in fact, the Bible says he won't, he not only will not answer it, he considers it to be, it makes him sick. You make God sick in your prayers, by your prayers, when there are people in your life that you have not forgiven. I could tell that there was a lot of people who didn't like that answer. But it's absolutely true. And it's an easy thing to demonstrate in scripture. It's not even hard. Psalm 66, 18, if I have wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. That word wickedness uh, means uh, in regards to another person in my thinking. Isaiah 59, 1, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, that is the ones that haven't been forgiven, have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Number 19, another consequence is that we will experience the full consequence of our sin in this life. No mercy. Now, the great thing about being a child of God is that we experience mercy from him as our heavenly father because we are his son, his daughter. He loves us. And so sin, it says in the Bible, is like planting tomato seeds or corn seeds. What you plant is what you reap. And so every sin has a just consequence. It's sort of like if you get a speeding ticket and you're five miles an hour or 10 miles an over or 60 miles an hour, it, the size of your ticket's going to be depending on how fast you were driving over the speed limit. And so there is a consequence for every sin built into the sin. And if we experience the full consequence of every sin we commit, we're going to be dead. But we experience mercy from God. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this is what he will reap. Hebrews 2, 2, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. Every sin, a just recompense. Hebrews 10, 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When you experience consequence for sin, James 2, 12, speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. Jesus said, by the standard of measure that you use with others is the standard that God will use on you. And so if you forgive anybody of everything, anything, that's the standard that God uses with us. Number 20, because of our bitterness, we will feel depressed, sad, lose the joy of the Lord. We will lose the joy of the Lord. We will be in the dumps, blue, and often we don't even know why. Psalms 38, 2, your your arrows have sunk deep into me. Your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My iniquities have gone over my head as a heavy burden. They weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I'm bent over, greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. My loins are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I, am gro- I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. The light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. That's from a man whose sins are not forgiven. Psalms thirty-eight, seventeen. For I am ready to fall. My, era, my sorrow is continually before me. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Confess it. It's cleansed. If you forgive others. 21, along with being depressed, we will be tired and unmotivated. We'll be tired and unmotivated. So I have an easy out. Some of you do as well. I'm sitting in my recliner and I'm thinking, I need to get up and do something. But I'm so tired. I can write it off to old age. Ha! That's what all old people feel and say. But most often, it's because of sin in our life that's not been forgiven. 
because we have not forgiven others. Psalms 31.10, my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength has failed because of my iniquity, my body has wasted away. 32.4, day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. That's because of unforgiven sin. 22, the ultimate consequence is that the devil and his demons will have free and easy access to our lives. He turns us over to the torturers. If we fail to forgive anybody of anything, everybody of anything. Free, easy access. Matthew 18, 34 again. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. He will turn us over to the torturers. 23 demons tempt us by talking to us and we hear them in our thoughts. Now that's a given. We went over that. That's how they tempt us. They talk to us. Thoughts pop into our head. Thoughts pop into our head. Thoughts pop into our head. How many of those thoughts can you handle? I mean, one every 10 minutes isn't too bad. One every 30 minutes is better. And how loud, dominant, overriding the other thoughts can we handle? Does it become to the point where it's just like machine gun? Boom, 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 loud. Can we resist that kind of thinking coming into our head? 24, the more access they have, that is demons, to our lives, the louder, the more insistent those thoughts become. Now, this is an easy one, though you don't see it in Scripture to validate simply on the basis of talking with, counseling with people that are demonized. That is, Satan has gained a great deal of control in their life. And when you ask them about their life, you will hear them tell about thoughts, loud, insistent, and weird 25, if someone does or says something that is offensive or hurtful to you, I'm sure that 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 information goes into the uh, demon's database under your name. And so you will get reminded of it over and over and over again. So I shared this before. Let me say it again. It's a simple prayer. And so... I'm just trying to think of a person I can use as an illustration uh, that is sort of secure. I guess I can say Steve says something that hurts my feelings. That dirty, rotten guy. And when I see him, because it's in their database, it pops into my head. Steve did such and such. Now, at that point, I have a number of things I can do. One is I can sort of dwell on it, run it around in my head. We like to do that. And we like to think of ways we can tell them off next time that happens. A good mm, comeback. You ever think about, oh man, I wish I'd have thought of that sooner. Or I can say, Jesus, you forgave me of every sin I've ever committed. Every sin I've ever committed. And so I choose to forgive Steve. Now the next time I see him, the thought will come into my head again. And the next time that thought pops in my head, I will say it again. Lord Jesus, you have forgiven me of everything I've ever done. And I choose to forgive Now, you don't have to do that very often, very long, until it's gone. Because God will prevent that from happening, that repetition into your mind and your thoughts. But if you don't forgive, it's going to stay there forever, or at least until you get your glorified body. You're going to hear the repeat over and over, and it's going to get louder and louder as you fail to forgive. Number 26, bitterness will ruin your life because you won't be able to handle all the temptations that will come your way because of the big open gate in your protection. You will sin more. You will have less power. You will be tired. You will be unmotivated. I mean, on and on the consequence are in your life because you have not forgiven anybody and everybody of anything and everything, no matter how bad it is. 
And people often, when I say this, will say, if we forgive anybody and everybody, if anything, they will just do it again. And my response is, only if God is dead. If God is dead, then take care of yourself, because nobody else will. Tell them off, stand up for your rights, get angry, shoot them, do whatever. Because if you don't, nobody else will. But I am a child of God. I belong to him. He has promised to take care of me. You do things my will, God, way, God says, and I will take care of you. I will put angels around you to protect you. And I will fill you with power and give you joy and give you peace. If you do things my way. His way is counterintuitive. It's totally opposite of the world. It's opposite of our flesh. But understand that forgive anybody of anything and you will be blessed, protected by God. Hang on to even a small root of bitterness and you pay a terrible price. So it's worth thinking about in your past. It's worth doing a little journaling about. It's worth pondering if someone comes into your presence and you don't like them. What What's the cause? What happened in the past? (laughs) We were looking at high school yearbooks. You ever look at your high school yearbook? It's like, wow, I had a lot of zits back then. Or whatever you might see. And then we're flipping through the high school yearbook with my kids and I saw this girl. Says, oh, I didn't like that girl very well. Her name was Kathy. And uh, and the kids, why? And... uh, and so I told him of an event that occurred in school in which she uh, mocked me in class. I remembered that event like it was yesterday when I saw that picture. I thought, huh, that's amazing. And I looked around and I thought, I wonder how many demons are here jabbering at me right now, bringing that to mind. Yeah, I, remember, I remember her last name. I remember her dad's name. I remember where she sat in class. I didn't remember all that stuff. Well, because she <clears throat> irritated me, planted something in my brain. I got to get rid of that. So it can be from years ago. It can be yesterday. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it was, who it was. What matters is we're clean. We've forgiven anybody of everything. And any time a thought pops in our mind, take care of it. Take care of it. Because you can't afford to have that gate swing open. Let those demons access to your life. Because their assignment is to torture you. Make your life miserable. And they know how to do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have forgiven us of everything. Jesus, you died for us. You, as you were nailed to that cross, my sins were all put on you. You became my sin. You felt it. And you experienced the wrath of God against yourself for my sins. It was a big price you paid for me to be forgiven. Help me not to take that for granted. And Lord, give me your strength so that I can forgive anybody of anything, no matter how hurtful it might have been or it might be, that I would quickly forgive so that I can experience your forgiveness, your grace, your joy in my own life. Each of us, Lord, help us to be those who have zero bitterness in our life. And we can do that because you have forgiven us. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.